When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This week on the Guitar Nerds podcast, we chat to Mikey Demas from the band Skindred. Now, in the regular episode, we talk about everything from how he started playing guitar right through to how he's formed the sounds that Skindred are known for. But over on the Patreon episode, we ask the questions that you asked us in the Facebook group. Everything from how he grows his awesome beard right through to how he gets the sounds that he's known for today. Go to patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds where you can get the extra half an hour of content every week. That includes this week's one with Mikey Demas. Patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Packham, joined this evening by Jay Cross. Hello. And a very, very special guest. Um, do you want to introduce yourself or would you like me to do it? I think I deserve an introduction, actually. Okay, so <laughs> joined by um, guitar... Um, how, uh, guitar, vir- na- guitar Nazi. Guitar, <laughs> guitar virtuoso, let's go with that. Uh, wow. Plus expert beard wearer. Yeah. Um, plus all Sunglasses. Sunglasses idol. Surveyor of indoor sunglasses. Yeah. yeah. Sunglasses. Enthusiast. <laughs> in- yeah, um, and all round, generally bloody good bloke, Mikey oh. Demas from the band hey. Skindred. Hello. Hello, how Welcome. are you doing? Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, no, thanks, good. Th- good. thanks for joining us. Um, no. So, basically, uh, as people, regular listeners to the podcast know, Matt Knight, who is our uh, kind of regular contributor, is off in Japan doing his job share, um, and that no one else normally does this podcast, so <laughs> it's fantastic. We've been getting like some guests, kind of fill-in hosts, and people to sit in on the pod, so it's excellent that you've joined us, Mikey. Sorry it was so, well, I'm sorry it was so late notice. Well, you know, you caught me on a good and I'm sort of, I've got an evening to myself, which is unheard of, actually. So what better way 
than to you know riff about guitars for a bit indeed what I thought we'd do is um, because normally the podcast runs you know we go through the week's news we go through some kind of listener questions and stuff like that but what I thought we could do is just basically have a chat about uh, you and how you got started in this whole crazy business and um, what you're up to now what you're playing favourite bits of gear and we've also got some questions specifically for you as well so lots to um, lots to cover I guess Um, so I guess let's start with how did you get into uh, playing guitar? How did you get started on this uh, on this journey? Um, I think when I was about about eleven years old, my dad sort of tried to put a guitar in my hand. My dad played guitar. There was always guitar in in the house. He had like a like a seventies Les Paul copy, and you know, lying around the house, which I sort of would occasionally go up to and sort of flick and make noise and be. You know, I think he said, "When when you can pick it up, you can have a go on it." That kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> because it weighed a ton, you know what I mean? They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Seventies so like, customs not something a young kid's picking up, I'd imagine. Nah, nah. It was like a breeze block that thing. So, I think when I was about eleven years old, I, he sort of put an acoustic in my hands and um, sort of yeah, I took it from there. Really, I'd, I think he tried a bit earlier, but when I was about eight or nine, but I just wasn't having it because. Couldn't do the chords, couldn't do it, and lost interest. But then, when I was eleven or twelve, I was came back to it, and for some reason, I think the first thing I saw was like that, the Woodstock documentary, you know, the film, the original one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimi Hendrix and Santana, and um, you know, uh, ten years after and all that stuff, it was kind of the linchpin that made me kind of want to do it, you know. And and not that necessarily any of those players come through in anything i do these well, days i think that that's the, that's debatable i think so what sort of music was on around the house growing up because i think that kind of dictates like what you get into later on definitely yeah i mean uh, lots of rock and roll you know rolling stones beatles punk rock elvis costello chuck berry things like that you know primitive guitar heroes if you know what i mean you all, know like all guitar based stuff basically yeah oh definitely yeah yeah but my dad was a big influence on me for for you know picking up guitar and sticking with it and and doing something with it and there was always really rocking yeah i think i think he's got a good fairly good music taste you know and he always did when i was a kid so that really dictated what i got into and you know what i'd be listening to i guess you're probably like similar ish age to us as well so i'm guessing Mm -hmm. that like guitar music was kind of back on the rise by the time that you were you know starting to pick up guitar yeah, by the time we, I was a teenager, you know, you had things like Green Day, which was which was huge. Obviously, Nirvana, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine. Sort of just, you know, and that was kind of my gateway into into heavier music. Really, I didn't grow up listening to metal. I wasn't a, I wasn't really inspired by that sort of shredding stuff at all. It's something you I came to later in life, really. Where. I think, you know, the first time I heard Pantera, I was probably about 18. Yeah. I was, I, was quite, I was quite sheltered from that stuff where I grew up. You know, everyone was kind of hippies. People were listening to, like, Jamiroquai and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And more sort of, I don't know, we smoked a lot of weed, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I, I was uh, I grew up listening to a lot of Chili Peppers and, um, yeah, those kind of bands. And then, yeah, like I said, getting into heavier music later in my teens. And that you know, through Rage Against the Machine and things like that. I think I think I went to the States when I was about sort of thirteen, fourteen and of course M T V was like a real thing over there. I didn't, yeah. I didn't didn't have like satellite T V or anything like that when I was a kid. So watching M T V and seeing like Bulls on Parade and even I think that was when um like Metallica did like the load album. It was around that yeah, kind yeah. of 
era and kind of being you know re- retrospectively getting into bands like metallica through through that that's that's like heresy isn't it getting into metallica through load people <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> crucify me for that it's like yeah but i, I like that record sue me a quick a quick aside about not having any uh, access to kind of metal and stuff in a I assume you grew up in a, like a fairly rural yeah like suburban-y place by the sound yeah. of things yeah I li- yeah I grew up sort of just outside Oxford in a kind of in a sort of semi councilly kind of rural market town kind of yeah thing, yeah you know? so I'm from I guess a similar kind of area and like I had no clue what Pantera was until yeah similar age like when I started yeah. getting heavily heavily into guitar. There was yeah. one kid I remember who had a Pantera T-shirt in our village, and people would literally throw rocks at him and call him wow. Pantera Boy, Mosher. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. I know, I know, and it just shows Brilliant. like how kind of access to this information through the internet has kind of changed things. Like, because unless you had seen them on TV or saw them in a magazine, right. you would have no idea what Pantera was. And I just remember him like wearing this T-shirt that had like flames on it, and people would legitimately throw rocks at him because he was a Pantera Boy. And I don't think anyone knew what Pantera was. They just literally saw it in his T-shirt and they were like, you've got long hair and you look a bit weird. Pantera boy, <laughs> hit him with a rock. Poor guy, man. Yeah. Poor, yeah, Poor. I think it's literally just what your friends are into and what's around you. And not really anyone around me was into that sort of thing. It's just something I came to later when I, when I met different people in my life and you know, was putting a foot in the door of playing music on a stage. And um, yeah, Pantera was one of those bands that sort of changed a lot when he heard them the first time you know i remember that i remember we i was quite into tool as well when i was about sort of 16 yeah you know what i mean and kind of thinking that was like i smoked a lot of weed when i was a teenager <laughs> <laughs> so what were you um, what were you uh what were you playing like guitar wise at the time did you like did you inherit some stuff um or did you know did uh, your dad pass down I, stuff I that he wasn't I using sort of sort of inherited that old heavy les Paul, but and i my first guitar was um like a um like a white strat like I was trying to go for the you know the Hendrix at Woodstock strat thing I think was the kind of thing I wanted to get and okay. they both they were both really great but they both were stolen out of uh, my car when I was about eighteen uh, I was working in a job and I you know sort of just pulled in there to speak to someone about working in the week and I'd come from a band practice and my car was full of gear and I was in there for like less than ten minutes and came out and it was all gone. This, you know, I was in this sort of sketchy area and I was absolutely heartbroken and, you know, had to tell my dad that it was a guitar of his. Oh, stopped. man. Oh, so, it was so- really brutal. But about, you know, then about 10 years later, I replaced it with um with a like a 60s Stratocaster, like a oh, 60s nice. Strat that I bought in the States and I sort of presented it to him and it, it was made up. So I was kind of like, nice. I'm off the hook. Was your, was, um, is your dad a lefty then as well? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm, this is a little factoid. I'm not actually left-handed. Really? Yeah, left-handed, <laughs> but I play guitar left-handed. Do you think that's because the first thing you picked up was a left-handed guitar? I think so, yeah. But even before I had the notion of that guitar's backwards, it wasn't even looking at it. Like when you play air guitar when you're a kid, I don't know, like, you know, singing into a hairbrush in the mirror style, it just felt right that way. I yeah. never felt, never felt like no one stopped me from doing that and going, yeah. oh, you're long way it was just this hand does that that hand does that and and it was i think it was just sheer weird coincidence that he was a lefty and this is a guitar this isn't a left-handed guitar this is a guitar you yeah know? so i don't know if there was some kind of if i clocked that or whatever i don't know it's, i don't i don't really remember 
I don't think there's any explanation. Like the my the classic thing that I do in a guitar shop is, you know, people would come in and say like, oh, you know, my son or daughter's left-handed. Should we get him a left-handed guitar? And the best thing to do is literally just hold like probably an acoustic or something that's symmetrical out in front of them and just mm. go get this guitar, play this guitar or hold mm. this guitar as you'd hold it. And you can instantly tell, yeah. you know, some people just go, oh yeah, it's, it's obviously right-handed, even though they're left-handed for writing or, you know, day-to-day. Or the mm. other way around, you know, there's, like you, Mikey, there's people who are right-handed who instinctively get a guitar and flip it yeah. left-handed. I think yeah. uh, skateboarders get it as well, don't they? Like people yeah. not sure whether, to, whether they're regular or goofy. Yeah, you um, just instinctively, you just do one or the other. Yeah. And it's not right or wrong, it's just interesting. I'm kind of like half-goofy. Yeah, <laughs> the good half. Switch goofy. Isn't that, isn't that pushing Mongo? I think that's what that is. <laughs> I've absolutely no idea. No idea. Definitely, I'm definitely that. So, what was the um, what was the first record that you could play all the way through? Do you know? What? I think it was actually Blood Sugar Sex Magic Chili Peppers was when I think it, I, I did used to have a load of tab books and things like that. I never, I don't, never had lessons or anything like that. I can't read music. But tab seems fairly straightforward, you know, when you're learning. And had a load of Hendrix books and a load of like a load of Chili Peppers and Metallica. I had like a like the Black Album. I had like the tab books. I had loads of tab books. And um, I was, yeah, I seem to remember being able to play Blood Sugar from start to finish, which is uh, and there's a couple of weird tunings in that as well. But yeah. I have to I have to put it to the test. I'll have to see if I can still do that. It's <laughs> still in the archive somewhere of like. But yeah, I could, I could. In back in the day, I could play, play the ass out of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the next record, right? It's just you doing a like a and, tribute, yeah. like note for note remake of uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. <laughs> yeah, just doing that. People would think I'd lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Who was playing guitar for Chili Peppers during that? Was that? Uh, it's a fella called Josh Klinghoffer. He's a really cool dude. And um, I'm a, a guitar tech. His guitar tech is one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my life. He, so he's yeah. playing He's playing guitar now, but who played guitar on that album? Oh, that was John Frusciante. Right, oh, it was okay. Frusciante. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Frusciante, that one, and the one before, Mother's Milk. And then, and then after the Blood Sugar, he left, and it was Dave Navarro who did One Hot Minute, and then he came back, they did Californication, and da 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 da, da. Oh, Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, drugs. Basically. Yeah, drugs. <laughs> I'll I'm a, do you know what? I'll be honest. I'm more of a Frusciante fan than I am a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, if I can be honest. Okay. And that even extends to today, really. I'm not, you know, I'm not really. I kind of lost interest around sort of by the way kind of era. After that, I kind of started to lose interest a bit. But um, I'm still a big Frusciante fan. He's got he's really prolific guys and loads of solo records. It's really guitar-y and he's got. I love his voice and he kind of went away and really developed his voice and does all these bonkers harmonies so he's, he's still doing stuff now because I've not heard from or of him for ages do you know what since he left again yeah he's, he did um, did a record called the Empyrean or Empyrean or something I don't know how you pronounce it but that was like fully analogue sounding because he really got into synths and all this stuff and it was kind of very proggy and very sort of listen to it on vinyl turn all the lights down smoke yeah. a spliff and be like oh my god <laughs> That kind of thing, and it, you know, great record. But um, I, since then, I don't, I don't know. He's kind of fallen off the radar a bit. Just but I, I had this big Frusciante period where I was like soaking up all this stuff because, yeah, I, you know, I think he's a, he's a got something about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think, Joe, I've, just, I've, just the the, uh, I've just brought up the Wikipedia page for that record. And uh, obviously, Flea is, Flea is playing bass. Yeah. Uh, John Klinghoff, uh, Josh Klinghoffer is playing guitar, uh, is playing drums. Uh, and Johnny Marr plays guitar on a couple of songs. Wow. How about that? Yeah. There you go. That's quite he a, he uh, does that a lot, though, doesn't he, Johnny Marr? Yeah, he just drop in for a couple of days and do some tunes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of like getting started in bands and stuff, I guess that's the next logical step. You've got your first guitar, you know you have mm-hmm. your uh, Chili Peppers record all the way through. How did you get involved in like making music with other people? Was it the classic, you know, get some mates together, play some covers at school type thing, or did you jump straight into doing original music? Or First band I did, I think I was about 15 and we were in a band I was in a, I was in a band called Yellow Snow <laughs> but I insisted that they changed it and we changed it to Gibbon okay like, yeah yeah random um was that do you think that was a step up or a step down i think it was a lateral okay <laughs> bad decision um uh and that was you know covers and some original stuff and it was really terrible but the guy who played drums in it i'm still friends with today he's he works in the industry he's a super talented drummer um he does he does a lot of um MDing for bands for young bands and stuff like that okay um and yeah the next one i was after that i was in a band i went to college after that i was about 18 and didn't know what i wanted to do and met a couple of people and started a band and I was actually that band I was in with my sister my sister was singing she's really talented got a great voice um and yeah we were kind of you know awkward 18 year olds I don't know sort of emo-ified you know okay. kind of we hate our lives but we kind of you know like the detuned guitars it was a difficult time around the millennium was it, so music. was it kind of um metally do you think or was more like on the punk side of things or a sort of a bit metally yeah i mean it, it's a really broad word isn't it but i suppose it was kind of i was always into the i think when i just learned how to detune to a drop d that kind of opened everything up <laughs> where i turned i got turned onto the riff you know what i mean yeah, and yeah. That, it was riffy i guess because like when I when I hear the word metal, I think of like Iron Maiden or something like that, and I, you know I just I don't have that in my bones to be honest. I don't yeah. have that ability to be that kind of guy. But it was riffy and it was you know kind of heavy and I guess you, yeah it was metal in a sense, but kind of none of us were metalers if you know what I mean. Yeah, but none of us had a Pantera T-shirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> none of us were a Pantera boy. We were kind of into punk rock and into you know man, I, yeah. So it's a weird weird chemistry, but. Uh, I, I suppose I must have been playing in that band when I met Dan from Skindred, and that's when he would have seen me play. And when the original guitar player from Skindred left after a very brief period, the original lineup they were together for about eighteen months, two years, okay. not even not a long time at all. Um, I got a phone call to, do you want to come and try out for this band? I was about twenty years old, and. I said, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no looking back since then. Yeah, that's it. I, I was working and living in the city in Oxford and I was kind of miserable in a kind of crappy place in my life. And it was just kind of this shining beacon of, yeah, do it. And everyone thought I was crazy. My family, my, you know, everyone, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to quit my job, leave my, leave my house and do all this stuff. And I'm going to go and sleep on someone's sofa for Newport, South Wales for the next two and a half years. So what and, was it? Where were they yeah, at at that point? I would t- sign off on it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Where were they at at that point? Um, were they doing some touring or was done, yeah they'd done the first record? Um, they did the first record Babylon with um, Howard Benson in 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 LA, and it got signed to BMG and it was released and it was the classic millennial um, uh, change of guard at the label when the you know the main people move on they're either fired or they move on to another job and the band gets dropped as a as a consequence because you know if someone else takes over the post they look at the, sh- the name of all the bands and they go yep 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 no 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 yeah yep, yep. and that you know skin dread were were cut basically and so you know from i think from writing and recording the album to release it was, it was real whirlwind it was about it was about 18 months two years and as soon as you know the band got dropped the guitar player and the drummer just said, "Ah, we're done here. Right. We've done we've done this too many times in the past, and we're done. We're done with the roller coaster of it all." And myself and Aria, the the drummer, Skin Dread, we were both you know similar age. We were young and hungry and keen to kind of you know do whatever it took to kind of to to you know make it work. You know what I mean? So the other guys were a little bit older at that point. They'd kind of been around a little bit longer. The guys we replaced, yeah, those those two guys were in uh, Benji's older band, Dub War. Okay, and um, you know they they those guys like come up in the seventies doing punk rock bands and that kind of thing. And then in the nineties they did the thing with Dub War, and that, they had some success with that, some critical success, if not commercial success. And then um, you know Skindred, it was kind of like an. I think what happened was Dan moved to Newport. Uh, you know, he met Benji through a mutual friend. How we all met is really weird. None of us grew up together. We're all from different ends of the country, really random. Um, yeah, Dan Dan met Benji through a mutual friend, and they got writing. And for you know, for about two years, they couldn't find anyone to commit to doing guitar, to playing drums. They were trying to put a band together, and eventually, you know, they I think Ginger and Jeff from Double stood in. And it went so well, they were like, "Do you want, you know, do you want to do the band?" They're like, "Yeah, cool, let's do it." Yeah. But but from that point to writing, recording an album, getting a deal, getting dropped was such a brief amount of time that, in a weird way, it's kind of this is the lineup. If you know what I mean? This. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've been doing this for sixteen, seventeen years now. So it's kind of they were around originally and sort of put the footprint of what the band was going to be about. But then they were gone, like. So uh, Ira and myself had to kind of play catch-up quite quickly. In terms of um, guitar playing, when you joined the band, what did you have to kind of take on board? Because obviously if you've just come from doing, like Mm. like you say, a kind of slightly undefined metal thing that you were doing before, um, I assume that you had to learn some new skills, basically, to to take on Skindred. Definitely. I mean, when I was, before joining that band, the only pedal I ever really had was like a tuner. That was like a luxury, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I had this tuner pedal. Wow. Uh, I was literally, I had a Gibson SG and I plugged that into like a Marshall JCM 900 head. That's it. Like, that was my guitar rig when I was like 18 and I, yeah. thought, I, was, I thought I was the shit. You know what I mean? I was like, I had, a, had a, like a half stack and it was, it was cool. It was expensive um, to have a real Gibson and a real Marshall at that point. Do you know what happened was following getting all my gear nicked, I made one of these sort of really sketchy decisions early on where I had all my gear nicked out the back of my car and I thought I'm going to get a bank loan and I'm going to go up to Denmark Street and I'm going to buy a guitar and um, I got totally totally fleeced up in Denmark Street (laughs) of course because I was this kid I didn't know anything about anything I went up there and I bought um, a Gibson SG Special 
which was which is kind of like you know like a Les Paul studio sort of thing. It's kind of mid priced. It was probably it should have probably been on the shelf for I don't know back then six hundred seven six to eight hundred pounds. And the guy was like, oh, I'll tell you what, I've got this really nice left-handed SG here. I'll give it to you. And I throw in a Hiscox case. And I'll give it to you for a grand. <laughs> and I was like, wicked. Yeah, here's the money. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, I bought, um, I bought this half stack off a friend that I was working with. I bought this, like, it had been around the world 19 times. It was this old, beaten up um, JCM 900 half stack, which was really cool. And, yeah, that was it. That was my guitar rig. So I guess the... The, ve- the the common theme, the vein running through it was that I was playing drop, dis- you know, distorted, detuned, kind of riffy, aggro, oh my god, you know, that kind of that kind of thing on guitar. So that that was the parallel, I suppose, with Skindred. At least there, it wasn't like right, you you're suddenly playing jazz, you know. What sure. I mean? But there was kind of you know, I've I've been jumping around playing detuned guitars since I was a kid, you know, thinking this is the, this is amazing. So. The things that I had to adopt when I did take on the gig was pedals. Basically, Jeff Rose is a fantastic guitar player, but what he brings to the table is he would always turn up with a new toy and make it do something really cool, and it would make the song. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. We've got a couple of tunes, like there's a song called Nobody, a song called Pressure off of Babylon, and those have like a whammy pedal featuring in them quite heavily yeah like the riff is kind of all about the whammy thing and i had to totally take that on it was not you know nothing i hadn't done anything like that previously but you just have to and from there you know the idea of we, the band's got a strong reggae influence i got into the idea of having like delay pedals and having like d- dubby sort of stuff going on and i took it from there really i got one of those line six fm4 purple pedals yes. and that was that that opened up everything for me because that was just like gurgle tastic you know what i mean like just getting the really horrible sounds and i think that was a big that did a big favor into sort of cementing my my place in the band because benji was i think because benji's a bit older than everyone in the band so he was even back then he was like my age now yeah and I think he felt like he'd been around the block a bit and he was like, should I give this up? Should I give it a go? And, you know, I've got these two young kids in the band, basically. It's like, is it, was it all about? Is it going to work? And I think when I turned up and sort of stepped up, I think it cemented things a little bit. Because I think of how he is with new people now, and I think he probably thought I was a complete liability, <laughs> <laughs> thinking back now. And, um yeah, and I'm, it's amazing that I'm here, to be honest. <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> you know. I guess what you've managed to do was basically put yourself in a position where you were making sounds that no one else could make. So it makes you kind of right. hard to be, you know, you're hard to, it's hard to replace someone who, right. you know, you couldn't probably just get a session guy in at that point, you know. No, exactly. I mean, back then, I think it was more about that. I'd be more <clears throat> focused on the toys side of things because it was a new thing for me. And then, and you know, fast forward to now, it's kind of, I just prefer a nice guitar tone. You know what I mean? Like, you look at how many effects pedals I turned up to record our second record with versus the last record. It's, like, significantly less. (laughs) I guess we should talk about that a bit. Like, so how your setup has evolved. Like, so on that, the second record, what were the kind of key components of that, of that kind of early stuff, I guess? Well, when I joined the band, you know, I, I... I brought the same rig I had with me. I had my little Marshall half stack and my SG 
and a few pedals that I sort of had to put together quite quickly, really. So I had like a whammy pedal and a delay pedal and this purple FM4 thing. And that was a pretty good, you know, basis for doing some weird and wonderful stuff. Um, but, um, you know, moving on from that, we went to, when we recorded to, re- went to record Roots Rock Riot, um, I kind of, we were in this, I'll be honest, we were in the States for a long time in the beginning of the 2000s. Um, we, we wanted to, we had all this material to do a new record, but the album, they kept wanting to re-release Babylon. Okay. And that happened in the States. Like it happened, it, they re-released it in the States at the beginning of, like in 2003. And they re-released it in the UK in 2004. Or, yeah, 2004, 2005. So we couldn't get away from this first record. Yeah. We had, we'd written like, in about three years, we'd written about 40, 45 songs you know and i don't know a core of them were okay so that's what kind of made the record the next record but we were ready to do that and um it just kept getting dragged out and dragged out so by the time we'd come to um by the time we came to make the second album we'd been on the on the road for about five years sort of in a van together and in buses together and learning each other's uh ticks and you know what make what pisses each other off and that sort of thing so but even by the time we came to make that record it was felt like we were really in each other's pockets so but um in terms of in terms of approach to playing it was kind of we did it in the states and we did it in a really really banging studio with a with a, a producer called matt squire who did um panic at the disco he did a thrice oh, yeah. record okay he did um yeah he did all kinds of stuff he did the big you know panic record and um he's gone on to do all kind of stuff there. I think he did, the last thing he did was like Katy Perry or something you know but it was that was right on the cusp where we were still on Atlantic Records and um, it was a huge production loads of money got thrown into it so you know I, I bought a Les Paul and I bought like a whole load of amps I borrowed a load of amps and we had like being in America you know and it being that kind of time I was just surrounded by you know high gain guitar gear and all this sort of thing I had like Bogners and you know all kinds of mental gear which is you know don't have any of that stuff anymore <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah, um what do you how did you kind of put that to it like how did you choose that gear was it just a process of kind of like elimination just plug a load of stuff in see what works if it doesn't work yeah take it totally out again. I've, I've always kind of wanted to have that tom morello thing where this is my head this is my cab this is the guitar i use plug it in this is how i sound i love the idea of that and i've never had that Every record is completely different. It's like, what amps can I get? What are they going to sell? It's always a stressful. Uh, what's the what? How, what's the guitar tone? What's the approach? I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. Every time is different. Who's like, I was the, just um, recording. Uh, I was just uh, recording um, in the last couple of days um, for for another 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 project I'm working on, and um, it's a compl- completely different approach to guitar. It's not heavy. It's not not heavy in a metal sense at all it's sort of if anything it's quite 70s sounding sort of so there's we use the cup we use a wem amp and a blues breaker and um like an old a vox ac30 from 1965 that kind of thing and uh you know just using all that kind of gear completely different vibes and the sort of thing i'll be doing in a couple of months time when we go into record the next skindred record which will be you know what what am i going to use i don't know who knows <laughs> i know what, yeah what drives that process is it um the songwriting process does that dictate how you want your guitar to sound or is it you working with a producer once the songs are written or 
is it you coming into the studio with an idea saying, right, I want my guitar on this album to be more, uh, however, you know, I want to use a yeah. less kind of synthy sound, uh, or sorry, a more mm-hmm. organic sound, you know, who? how does that process begin? I think, I think a bit of the latter, but more so in the last couple of albums, it's been about what uh, what is the song doing? Yeah. You know, because I think um, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been quite focused on the idea of consistency across an album, and you want the guitars to sound the same on every song. And now... I'm kind of like that's out the window. Like, okay. if oh, you know, if the third track sounds like I don't know, Twenty One Pilots or something, you know that that's that can sound completely different from like the fifth track where it sounds like Ramstein. You know what I mean? Is yeah. I I don't I'm not really subscribing to that idea anymore where it has to sound because the way we write is differently is is so different now as well. You know, we're writing songs over across a period of time where the way you feel about things change and the gear you use changes and all kinds of things change over the period of time where you're writing. It's not always just a stint where you write for one period of time and you want to capture that. I know bands are still doing that, but for, uh, it seems to be that's happening for us less and less. Um, it's not all of you get into a room for you know six weeks, write the album and capture that vibe and then you want to record it straight away. I mean, the last uh, we were we were talking about not doing that, but it actually is transpiring that we are about to do that. Okay. So yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, in November, I'm going to be in Bristol for the best part of about five or six weeks, and we are going to be writing. We're going to be in the room together every day, five days a week. So we're going to be like killing each other. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that's yeah. going to lead to more more consistency or less with the guitar stuff? Do you think that you'll kind of when you kind of hit upon a sound in that process, will you be like, right, that's the one that I want for the whole album? I- I hope so. I do like to have a sound on an album, but I do. Again, it comes back to it's really song dependent. And yeah. like for example, we've got a song. We have a song on the last record called "Saying It Now," which is um, is a it's a really heavy song. It's, it's about um, it's about a friend of Benji's who died of, um, quite recently. And um, but we've we've taken to and it was quite heavy on the record, but we've taken to playing it acoustically live, and it is. We have people in tears every night in the front row. I mean, like five or six people all in tears over this over this song, which is which is absolutely bonkers. And um, you know, we've never really had that before. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It's connecting with people in a way that that the you know stuff hasn't in the past. And and we're talking about redoing that song and putting it on the next record, like completely reimagining it. Okay. And um, so and you know, it could be that that sounds completely different to how it was on the last record how we play it live currently and we want to potentially meld the two somehow yeah, yeah. Do you know what i mean it's it's kind of it's weird we don't feel like that song's had its chance yet as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So you want to do something else with it because it's, uh, you know, it's quite a powerful song. I think that's, that's quite, um, it's quite important to be able to take those things that you've made and, and turn them into into something else. You know, one of the things with Skindred is you're obviously a very unique sounding band, and it's to I, I right. guess fi- finding these little niches and constantly evolving. It must keep it interesting for you as well, as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, it's a head scratcher. I'll be honest. It's kind of it's not something that comes supernaturally to think how can I make it different and better from last time yeah. you know you're constantly going what can we do what can i do as a guitar player what can we do as a band how can we improve because otherwise you know it's change or die you know yeah. what i mean it's uh, there is nothing worse to me than the idea of just doing 12 songs that go like i'll give up tomorrow i'm not interested i am so not interested in that and so much of the heavy music scene is that yeah and it's you know, it has its place, and people like will take a bullet for some of this stuff. But you will play a festival like Download, which is an incredible festival. But you know, sixty-five, seventy percent of the music I just don't understand. Sure. And so, and so, you know, I, when it comes to how that reflects on a Skindred record, is you have all this influence from, you know, God knows, we're all so different as people, and we're we're all into such different things musically that I think that comes out. In the you know in the music where it's not just straightforward this or straightforward that like you said it's there's a lot going on whether it, whether you like it or hate it there's a load going on you know what I mean it's like it or not it is different yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you guys feel yeah. more free to do that now because I guess you know when you're starting out you know perhaps in you know the first two or three albums you need some consistency so that people kind of know what they're buying into each time did you did you feel pressure to do that you know to to be the kind of dub metal band as it were, because, you know, you want some of that audience to travel over, whereas now, I guess, you're not the dub metal kind band, of. you're, you're Skindred, and people expect these different things from you. Well, this is it, and with every record that you kind of bring in another influence, it sort of just widens your, um, it's another string to your bow, and it widens what you can do. And, yeah, definitely the first album was sounded the way it sounded, and then the second album we had, I mean, we'd written 40-odd songs, and they were all very different, and I think they really refre- reflect in the record. And then you get an album like Volume, our last one, where we basically said, right, this is going to be riffy songs, a band in a room, sweating, that kind of thing. And it, I think that comes across on that album. Um, but I think more, more so back, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was more pressure to do a different kind of pressure, I guess. It's kind of, if, I think we're free to do what we want now. Yeah. But you still, it, it's kind of walking the line of, you want to take risks with with music but you don't want to completely jump the shark do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't want to alienate people no exactly you want to you want to you know anyone who's trying to make a band work they want to appeal to a, as wide an audience as possible without um compromising your integrity but at the same time you know you, you you've got a die hard fan base and the rock world the rock community is so loyal that you want to reward that you know what i mean yeah. you want to give people what they want and Trying to figure out what that is is tricky because some music that people like would you know die for is like 
I can't stand. <laughs> and then there's, but then there's like, you know, our fans love certain things we do and you read the Facebook and it's such a diverse group of people who are into the band. You get like 55 year old French guys who work at a market, you know, and like, and then you've got like kids in New York city and everything in between. It's, it's a really weird um, demographic to kind of cater for because we're a bunch of weirdos anyway. So it's sort of, it's our lot. (laughs) I guess. And also, you know, the, the history of all the stuff that you've done, people are, if people have liked the majority of your stuff, they're probably going to like the next thing because uh, you. I think you. Um, it's not the same every time, you know. So people right. kind of will uh, trust that the next thing is going to be good and, and at least give it a listen. Well, we are quite hard on ourselves. I mean, we give. You know, we try and push it and try and always try and improve on the last thing because I think it's important to do it. I think it's interesting going back and reading reviews, especially on Amazon and things like that. When you read, I got I get cat caught up reading like album reviews on Amazon when I'm buying vinyl and I thought I'm going to check out some Skin Dread reviews and like you said it's funny to see where people take issue or take exception to certain things that you've done yeah. that you you don't see it being an issue like that. why would you take an exception to that album or that track it's like in my mind that it's in the gang but people are like I can't believe what they've done it's so <laughs> like they they have lost the plot it's like really it's yeah you you can't please everyone with this stuff you just you have to kind of do your best the best sort of keeping everyone happy as much as you can you know with with the songs you're trying to put out there let's um let's get down to the good stuff and probably the reason that most people listen to this podcast let's talk about some gear um you've obviously talked about stuff that you have played in the past but what's in the um what's in the current kind of current arsenal um and what would you uh how would you say that your live setup differs from the things that you kind of mess around with in the studio uh well studios studio like i say is different every time so it's kind of that is a real wide open kettle of fish but um what I'm doing live at the moment, I started off obviously, like most people, a few pedals in front of a tube amp kind of thing, and did that for a long time. And it will, with being a whammy connoisseur by proxy, I've had to learn every in and out of those things what they can do, what they won't do, how they work, how they're powered, all this useless information. Um, and the original whammy basically where i'm going with this is that the original whammy is quite a pricey pedal yeah to, to tour with because they're not very roadworthy and basically that pedal does one of the modes on it, and it does a thing that none of the others ever did, did since and there's a song that we played that we were playing we don't really play anymore so i got away with it but you can't do that sound without that pedal so you'd be forced to be using this one kind of pedal and i had that for about the best part of a decade where you have to be using certain certain things and i got to the point where you know got fed up of trying to find a nine volt ac (laughs) uh, power supply in bulgaria on a wednesday night (laughs) so i just went you know what i'm sodding off all this stuff and i'm currently using a fractal audio axe effects 2 to do um all the effects and it's sort of it's a weird one because it seems counterintuitive to the thing i'm an i'm a a knob twiddler but anything more than a few knobs i think is i get lost yeah i think a lot lot of people suffer with that with the modeling stuff is it is quite complicated and you know i'm a fairly meat and potatoes kind of gear person but 
it, the fractal stuff is super complex. Yeah. And, and it, once you're in, once you get your head into it, it's fine. But it's at first, it's kind of like if you're an iPhone guy, it's like someone handing you a Samsung Galaxy and going, "There you go, mate. Put your number in my phone." And you're like, "I don't even know how. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it's like that with the fractal stuff at first. But once you understand how it works, you're flying. You know yeah. what I mean? And then you have to stop yourself playing with it because it's so deep and there's so many menus and so many pages. You're like, it's literally like getting a degree in amp biasing. Like which you never needed, you know what I mean? Like, no amp needs more than about five or six knobs on the front. Yeah. Reality. Imagine every amp in there has about seventy-eight knobs that you can twiddle, you know. And they're all push pulls as well that do something different. You know, it's kind of like stop enough, just <laughs> gain bass middle bass middle treble presence volume. That's what I, you need. If, well, yeah. I mean, and to be honest with you, I don't I don't mess around with the settings on the thing. I basically if i've ever used it for that stuff it's i find a sound and tweak it a little bit don't mess around too much because you just get, go into the rabbit hole and it's kind of you know the presets in it are good enough and a good enough sort of basis to work from but the effects on it are absolutely killer and uh, um at first, when i first got it it was it, specifically for the whammy thing it didn't quite do what the whammy does and you know look, the good thing about it is they're constantly updating and they added a few modes to it and all of a sudden it sounds a lot more in the gang kind yeah. of thing. And yeah, it's it's it does the job and for things like festivals, you know, where you literally want less you know, the least gear possible, less to go wrong. You know, I was I was before I'd made the, the switch to it, I was planning I had um basically I'll rewind a little bit. I had the had like a load of pedals in a rack and they were all switching and it was all running on MIDI because we have we use Ableton Live when we play. Yeah. And so that'll send certain samples to front of house and you can control what the guitar rigs are doing over MIDI. So it means you're tap dancing a hell of a lot less, yeah. which is great because, you know, wireless pack, no tap dancing. I get to run around like a total idiot having the time of my life, you know, and all you've got to worry about is what your fingers are doing and not breaking your neck on stage. And so that was a really cool, cool thing to bring to the live show was to free myself up like that. But I couldn't travel with this rack. It couldn't fly with it over the summer. So I'd be like pedals in front of an amp over the summer at festivals. And then when you're back in the UK, I got singing. I just wanted to have the same thing every night. So I was planning this great big pedal board with all these pedals on it that was going to be switching and it was going to be MIDI controlled. And, you know, I priced it all up. And even like it, this thing needed like 75 right angled switchcraft jack. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, 700 quids worth of jacks or something you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah just for the just for, and that's you know and it, it just got to the point where look, there's all these points of contact there's more to go wrong i'm gonna everyone was talking up this xfx thing so i i bought one tried it out sounded great programmed it up does the job and it's difficult where i find it falls down is that you really i struggle to do new things with it on the fly Sure. It's great when you when you're playing a set that's the same every night and you want that delay to come on the same time every night and it rings out perfectly. Da, 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 da. But I don't think it makes you more creative. I think it's sort of it's a tool for, for being consistent and sounds the same every night and it's one thing to go wrong. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. You know, it's I have no audio on stage at all. Everything lives off off stage and I literally have a controller on stage. So you literally just send data. You're not sending any audio. Everything. My my um, 
my my signal chain is about two feet long. <laughs> it goes from a wireless into a tuner into the front of the Xfx. Yeah, and then um, out, out into the mixer, I guess, at that point. Then, well, well, yeah, and it, go, and it goes to amps as well. Okay. It goes, yeah, it goes to um, it goes to amps on stage for. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a whore for volume on stage. Okay, so you're running. You're not running the amp models. I take it out to the amps on stage. I have been a bit. Um, I kind of go back and forth between running them as because it's a super simple thing to change. You just basically turn the amp modeling off. Yeah. And it just it just acts like a pedal board in front of an amp. Yeah. And when I'm at, when I'm at home and I've got my amps, I'll do that. But when we fly, and you end up with God knows what, it's kind of do you know what? Just stick the modeling on and it sounds the same every night do you know what i mean yeah like the orange stuff in there's really i've got i think what i've got in there is um my main tone is a kind of a it's a orange rock of herb 50 watt i think it's called the citrus in that thing and um yeah and uh, that's and there's like the white eddie van halen 5150 mark three red channel and you know one does like the thump and one does the fizz and somewhere in the middle it's kind of this is it so and yeah it, it, you know it does the job when you're still in a festival and the wind's blowing around and you're at front of house no one can tell the difference no, i defy yeah. anyone to tell the difference you know yeah yeah yeah. so are you able in the aspects to turn the amp modeling off to the amps on stage but keep it on for front of house yes okay yes because okay. it's got it's got it's got a really comprehensive sort of io on back you know it can send to various places um, so you can send it out to amps. You can either send it out to amp effects loops and just use the amps as power amps, yeah. or you can send it to a power amp, and or or you can send it to the front end of amps, and it knows what to do, so to speak. There's the effects loop in it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's quite clever like that. And I I just learned today actually that I was speaking to someone about um, some Axe effects stuff, and they told me that the Kemper isn't stereo, which I couldn't believe. It doesn't do stereo. I think it might have a stereo. It's got some kind of stereo capability, but anyway, I was surprised that it was sure. wouldn't do that because one great big one great thing about the Axfx is that you can run stereo effects and have all these sweeping ping pong delays and all that all that nonsense, which is fun. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've not spent enough time with the Kemper to confirm that actually, but um, no, I don't know. I bet yeah. those huge stereo effects just sound incredible on on like a big on playing like download. You just totally. hear a ping pong from one, you know, from yeah. from a hundred foot over that way, and then a hundred yeah. foot over the other. <laughs> Our front of house engineer loves it. It's a couple of songs where I have this great big ping pong delay, and he just loves it. Yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. Do so, you have the Do you have the same engineer wherever mm-hmm. you are? I guess yeah, that's important have... if you're running a rig like that 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 is is so dependent on, I guess you know technology, and and you want to have someone yeah, who knows have, exactly I mean, what's going on. We've got a lot, there is a lot going on on stage with us. And to be honest with you, since using that stuff, if anything, that's made his job easier because he just runs it, uh, you know, runs it flat. There's no, he doesn't EQ anything. I think he's like a low pass filter on it, you know. Um, but it's the reason, again, going to that is that there's when you're not miking up cabs, the difference between, you know, a, a mic being there or there is it like, can completely change the sound of it every yeah. night. So you eradicate all that completely, which is great. But um, yeah, in terms of his job and duties, the guitar side of things, I think it's made him a lot easier. But we have a lot of, um, we've got a load of Ableton stuff happening and 
just just someone who our front of house guy is super cool guy he's very technical he can fix anything he's super low-key he's been around you know he's slightly older than me and he's been around a million been around the block a million times so he's like got no no ego at all he's like super super dependable guy and uh yeah he's been our guy for about six years now we i think we've done like five shows without him in six (laughs) years you know how are those five shows Awful. <laughs> but do you know what? It's, you never really know with front of house. You, you're just kind of entrusted to, to people. But when you get other bands and crew coming back and going, yo, your front of house guy is crushing it, like beyond belief. Like never get rid of that guy. T- promise me you'll never get rid of that guy. And, and um, yeah, we get nothing but um, fantastic reviews about our front of house and you know sound, which is uh, which is you know great compliment really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's um, that's the amps up. Let's talk about some guitars because we're actually running fairly close to the end of the podcast, and the guitar's the most important bit. Um, obviously, okay. we've talked about it already. Lefty, so there's not the same, quite the same amount of guitars available. But you've always managed to have pretty interesting guitars over the years. Um, do you want to talk about your kind of the main ones that you're known for playing, and then also kind of where you're at now? Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm obviously a fan of um, all the classics, just like anyone else. I've got a load of Fenders, a load of Gibsons. I've sort of, I've got a flux of guitars that are kind of coming and going in and out of my life. I like the idea that you know there's not that many out there for lefties. My wife wouldn't agree with you at all. She'd be like, <laughs> "Why do you need, a, why do you need another one?" Obviously, but um, yeah, I was playing Telecasters for a long time. Um, I went through all kinds of different guitars over the last over my musical career, so to speak. I obviously had a couple of SGs back in the day. Um, I guess that was just like Angus Young. It was cool, you know. It kind of looked and like an intimidating, cool guitar, and it's a simple thing, you know, humbuckers. Nothing too complicated about it. Um, and then, when, obviously, when we got we were a signed band and we had all these things like endorsements happening. I kind of went through a, a bunch of different companies just trying to find what felt right. Um, when we first went to the States, I inherited an endorsement from a sister band we shared a label and a management with, and I was um, endorsed by Ernie Ball. Yeah. So uh, I was using um, like the Music Man Axis Super Sport guitars for a minute, which again are kind of like a super squat, telly-ish, like a melting sort of telly, but with... Um, humbuckers and you know they were shorter scale kind of thing yeah um and those were cool they're, they're fantastically engineered guitars sound brilliant play brilliant but i just i didn't really like the look of them if i'm honest and i kind of the i kind of felt like i was borrowing someone else's gear you know yeah yeah and then i moved on from that onto using what did i use i, I think i was using a uh, I met a guy from ESP who helped me out with a few LCD guitars, which was, again, a bit of a departure for me. Really, I was kind of reaching there. I didn't really, I didn't really know what I wanted to play, and I got hooked up with a couple of these um, LTD Eclipse things, which are kind of like a sort of Les Paul but with a slightly pointy end on them here and there. Oh, they look really cool, but again, it was um, didn't really feel like it was me. And then. Um, and then I got, um, and then I met a guy from Fender who helped me out with a load of cool stuff, and um, that was a big, that was like the defining sort of moment of this is the gear I want to play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, 
I had they sent out a few Telecasters, a few Stratocasters, nothing majorly expensive, kind of you know we're talking like standards that kind of thing. And I took them all to pieces and I'm you know fooled around with them, messed them all up, just blowtorch, spray paint, locking tuners, da 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 da, you name it. And um, you know, was left with these kind of yeah, that'll do, you know, modded to the kind of to the point of acceptability where they work a bit better because you know I, I've, as a lefty as well I find my one critique offender is they don't make a lot of cool stock stuff for lefty Yeah, they do loads of really cool stuff but none of it in left handed which is kind of a bum for me but I, I get it you know, it's there, you know it's a huge company and they're taking it massive risks on on more niche guitars for the lefty but um, like, there, like there was um after I, I basically I built this Telecaster that eventually became called the Ratacaster, right? Which is it was a black Mexican standard telly, which I sprayed silver with um, graffiti paint. It was because um, we were doing we were doing this festival Sonosphere, and we basically decided we were all going to dress in silver. Like <laughs> uh, had a great big six meter by ten meter wide um, silver backdrop. And we were going, all right, so all right, I need a silver guitar. So I made this silver Telecaster. I got a couple of Seymour Duncan hot rails, put them in it, put locking tuners on it. And yeah, it just worked. I don't know why. I put a strap neck on it as well. I put this Highway 1 strap neck on it because it's got great big frets, big headstock, 70s logo. And it was just, boosh, this is the one. And I played the hell out of that guitar for about six years that's still like my running to a burning building to sort of, you know, drag it out. I think that would be the one that I would go back in for. But yeah, that that's the, what my, my, uh, my thing with offenders was, um, loved them. They're awesome, but they would require a fair bit of modification from my end to kind of, for me to be comfortable with them or even like live up to kind of like what skin red does, you know, cause you talk, we play in lower tunings and, I know, generally, like a standard Telecaster ain't going to cut it. Like sure. the, it's got the pickups aren't going to really deal with the high gain thing, and the you want to put like locking tuners on it for the big fat heavy strings and the lower tuning that kind of thing. So I was putting, you know, putting a lot of work into sort of standard guitars to make them do the thing, and it, it was really cool. And I ended up with loads of really cool stuff out of it. But I was approached by um, by Manson Guitars in Exeter to build me some custom stuff and um because aria our drummer is from exeter and yeah. he's known you know he, he, the first band he was in they all worked in that shop it's like they're part of the family do you know what i mean yeah, they're yeah. like they they sort of they treat aria like a prodigal son kind of thing when he turns when he goes in the shop so i was kind of like you know he was i was like you know i'm, I'm going in there with you <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah yeah so um and they've been they, you know manson have been totally totally awesome they've, they've built built me a few guitars totally custom and i haven't touched a thing on them they're just like they are the way they are haven't needed to change a thing about them and and i'm i've been playing those now for probably about about two years i think yeah and, and those are great you know and again they're like a sort of telly modified telly shape and the ones i'm playing um has kind of got this big telly deluxe scratch plate kind of thing you know like and the kind of keith richards the you know les paul ish um controls like the humbucker in the neck telly bridge 
that kind of thing. It's like kind a, of like it's a, kind of a skewed seventy-two telly, isn't it? That's right, right. Kind of like seventy-two custom deluxe, yeah. kind of thing, but a bit modern. And they they do these really wacky finishes, like which I love. They do like these bonkers metallic kind of destroyed finishes and things like that. So they look like real one-offs, you know. And um, they play great. It's um, yeah, I'm I'm super stoked on them. And they're um, they're they're putting the final touches on uh, on a signature guitar of mine, which they're unveiling like next month, which I've sworn to secrecy that I wasn't going to talk about. But how could I not talk about it? <laughs> well, Come on. This is coming, a... on guitar, coming on guitar nerds here. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got, to have, got to give you the juice on something. Do you know what I mean? This is pure guerrilla marketing, I think. they've Yeah, they've told you not to talk yeah. about it. Right, okay, I see. So, so. is this going to be a kind of a catalogue version of your existing custom model? Well, I think what the yeah, kind of. It's sort of they wanted to. They do three different things basically. Where they do the full custom thing, which will set you back a few grand. They do um, the sort of the ones that all the woods are cut and CNC'd in Czech Republic, and then everything is sent to Manson's and Exeter for building, wiring, da 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 da. da. And then they do the the stuff that they make in Indonesia, which is super affordable. And what they want to do, I think, is basically do a, a limited run of the middle bracket guitars. Okay. So, so they're probably going to run around the eleven hundred pound. Okay. Oh, nice! Mark, somewhere between a, I think, like I don't know, ten ninety five or something, something around there, I think. And um, yeah, they're super cool. They're kind of based on the telly I played, so they've got the big scratch plate. My thing was is obviously they make guitars for matt bellamy yeah and he has all kinds of mental tech in these guitars you know have like pedals built into them and midi capability and chaos pads and you name it you know um espresso machine like (laughs) and i basically said that i would love i really want to work for you guys i'll be quite honest i've got zero interest in any of that because that's that guy's thing yeah and I think that you know that it was a mutually beneficial thing for Manson because they don't you know they obviously that's a big part of what they do but they don't, they don't want they want to diversify you know what I mean and they want to yeah. be able to offer the market something other than like space age kitchen sink guitars that yeah. kind of do stuff you don't even know what they do so and where I'm coming from I'm kind of wanting something more classic so so yeah they basically they took their basic MA shape and they kind of did my thing to it and um yeah there's going to be a bunch of different options on it and yeah it's going to be i'm I'm hoping that it's just a i'm hoping that it's an appealing guitar for people who've never heard of me you know what i mean i'm definitely they're they're making a limited run and i I would love to think that they sell them all and that people order some more because just because it's a cool guitar that people want to play regardless of the fact that it has anything to do with me because you know who, who the fuck am I you know what I mean <laughs> yeah well so, um, I think what's so good about it is you know at that price point it's a good alternative to the other kind of big name yeah. brand tellies that are out there and some of which you know don't offer a kind of humbucker configuration so right well that's it and they they, they offer loads of options you know with the pickups you can get like you get they offer Seymour's they offer like upgraded Manson pickups that they make themselves in house um, they do like have all different kinds of hardware upgrades, like to locking tuners and and again all these cool like aluminium knobs and stuff that have been all like relicked and all this cool stuff. You can upgrade to like having a uh, anodized pickguard on it. They'll offer all these like wacky chrome finishes and things like that. And yeah, it's it's kind of 
a real entry level custom customization which you don't really get in lots of places so i'm really excited about it and um I'm hoping, and the other thing they do them left-handed and right-handed. So the hey. yeah, finally I'm, satisfying that market. Yeah, I think, well, I think it. it would have been it would have been better if you hadn't done a right-handed version. That would have been suicide. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like I, wanna, I wish I could be that guy who's so ballsy <laughs> just to go check it out, guys. We're going to make forty lefties, <laughs> and you're going to sell four of them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they're all going to be to you. Gonna be like peace, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I play all the others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think you've got I a would... load of guitars now? Your wife is going to be very upset when you come home with thirty-six of Man. exactly the same guitar. And all the prototypes start turning up. She's going to have a conniption. <laughs> One of these guitars, don't it? No, I've, I've, I, I do have a constant flux. I'm, I, I'm always selling stuff, and then with the intention of doing something responsible with the cash, and then something I can't live without just materialises on Facebook or Reverb and guess what? <laughs> Gotta have it. Gotta have it. I think, yeah, Pete, anyone who's on like UK Gear Exchange forums probably oh, has man. seen you pop up a fair few times. Yeah, oh, I'm terrible. Well, the Facebook ones are where I do the most damage to be honest because you haven't got any of the fees. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Just, yeah, I love it because you're dealing with someone directly. You, you can level with them. You know, stuff turns up like that. You, you know, it's, uh, I've had loads of really good experiences with that. I've, I think I've sold, I've been selling on those for about a year, and I've only had maybe two people who were dicks. Right. You know, I think I've probably sold, I don't know, 40, 50 things over the last year, and, you know, two out of 50 ain't bad. Yeah, yeah. That's... Respectful, and they, you know, treat each other, treat others how you expect to be treated on that stuff. I think know? you've got that sort of, unlike maybe eBay or Gumtree, with, the Facebook marketplaces, you've got that level of accountability. Yeah. If you're gonna yeah, be yeah. if you're gonna be horrible to someone, you can get in contact with them immediately or mm. you it, you contact their mum. Well completely. Yeah, I mean that's it's, the way it's to not, do it. It's not unlikely Gosh, that you're gonna have mutual friends. Mikey, we're um, we're up over an hour, so I think we should wind this one down. But you want to stick around for another half an hour, come and speak to us on the Patreon episode as well. Absolutely, yeah. Excellent. We got some questions from the Facebook group, so we'll uh, we'll take those there. There's some obviously there's some about your beard. People are very very interested, so we'll go over that. Um, hey man, we'll, we'll talk about some more guitar stuff as well. Well, we got to make it quick because I'm on a beard forum in about an hour. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the beard podcast, beard nerds is uh, we we do fight with them occasionally, you know, for for uh, listeners. So this is a real crossover for us. And um, if you want to hear that, do go to patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. Where from as little as one dollar a month. You can support the Guitar Nerds podcast. $1 gets you the regular episode ad-free and early. $5 gets you the regular episode ad-free and early, plus the extra half an hour every week. Plus, you also get access to all the previous content. There's something like 100 hours, roughly, of stuff on there now uh, that is exclusive to Patreon. You get the mini-series, Joe Branton's Ranton. You also get to hear from Matt Knight, who is in Japan, doing his weekly uh, diary. This week, he talks about how he got absolutely happy hammered um, because apparently there's just loads of bars and they wouldn't stop taking him to different bars uh, so you can hear all about that that's the series we're tentatively calling well it's called Matt in Japan um, and we also have the $10 tier price point um, where you get your name read out on the regular episode like this are you uh, going to read it I'll, I'll read it if you want me to read it okay I'll do some like acapella backing okay okay 
Derek Rich, Chris Connors, Andy Joyce, Steve Merkel, Blair Toms, Carlos Mancha, Mark Cross, JD Shaw, Andy McKenzie, Brad Page, Paul Corrigan, Jack Godfrey, Will Clare, Scott O'Brien, Matt Quine, Phil Thompson, Laurie Anstis, Moot Gravit, Colin Anderson. There we go. Um, always the uh, most fun part of the show, Marky. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but no, no, that's the uh, first for me actually. I've never noticed that bit. It's pretty special. Pretty usually, special. Usually turns off. Yeah, when, yeah. Uh, so it gets to the forty minutes, and he's like, no, <laughs> just like everyone else. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't have an hour to do anything in my life anymore, man. <laughs> if you get half an hour of me, you're lucky. That's true, that's true. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar nerds forum. Uh, plenty of fun to be had on there. Mikey's actually in the group, so you'll probably see him pop up from time to time. Um, yeah. you, you can also go to um, Twitter. We're at guitar nerds, Instagram at guitar nerds, and you can go to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash guitar nerds videos. Um, do join us there. There's stuff going up all the time, including Joe's videos from Gitcon have started going live and are doing pretty well they're uh, yeah. they're doing they're doing well um, oh and uh, just as a quick aside it looks like we might have a full contingent of guitar notes next week uh, yeah, Matt Knight next week. Uh, Matt, we're going to record at a time that's convenient for Matt, so we'll hear um, live from yeah. Matt. Uh, well, not live, but you'll hear us talking to him live, recorded yeah. uh, a couple of days after it happens. Completely, and, uh, so the full contingent, you, me, and Matt, Matt Knight, and yeah, nobody else. No one else, indeed. Uh, yes, so if you want to do that, uh, we will see you next week. Cheers, Bye-bye. gang. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.